Bibles to John chapter 11. Back in the Gospel of John, I've been chomping at the bit to get to chapter 11. It's one of the greatest, I think, portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. And, of course, this chapter is dealing with the seventh of, uh, of the seven miracles mentioned in the Gospel of John. And the title of the message this morning is The Death of Lazarus. How many guys as children heard about the story of, of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the grave? Let me, let me see your hands. Yes. Very familiar, very popular, of course, story in scripture, account of Jesus doing this miracle. But I want you to understand that he saves his best for last. John does. And now we know there, there was other miracles that Jesus performed that we don't uh, see in Scripture. So I'm not saying this is his last miracle before he went to the cross. But what I'm saying is this is the last one mentioned in John's Gospel. And he ends with a bang. But we're going to start reading in verse number one. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say amen. amen. All right. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you are going, going, and you are going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. As I mentioned a moment ago, this is the seventh miracle recorded in John. And it is the climactic miracle, I would argue, of the Lord's ministry. He had raised other people from the dead. Every funeral that Jesus went to, he touched someone and it got up. But this would be different. It was a miracle that could not be denied. It was a miracle that could not be avoided by the religious leaders. This miracle was unique because Lazarus will see would have been dead for four days. His body would have began the decomposition process. And it would have been seemingly the most hopeless of situations. But then Jesus will show up and perform what only he can do, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And I want you to know, Jesus, his emphasis, of course, in delaying to go to Lazarus, we'll see in a moment, was to increase the faith of the disciples, of Mary, Martha, and I believe Lazarus himself as he would come forth from death. And I want you to know the Gospel of John, as we talked about, the theme of the Gospel of John is that we would uh, grow in our faith, our belief on Jesus Christ, that we would understand who he is. He is Alpha and Omega. He is uh, the great I am, the first and the last. He has power over the greatest of human enemies and that of death. 
I want you to think about this. If Jesus didn't have power over death, then everything else that he did would amount to little to nothing. And the Bible records this in First Corinthians chapter 15. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You see, if it was only uh, for us to have hope in Christ this side of eternity, then we of all men would be most miserable. But because Jesus has conquered death, because he has defeated the final enemy, we have an eternal hope. We have a blessed hope, the Bible talks about in Titus, that when we say goodbye to loved ones in Christ, when we put a child in the grave, and I was just at a family's funeral yesterday who they buried, uh, I saw parents sitting in the front right here where you are, Miss Linda, and you've experienced that too, and where you've placed what a parent you know, fears the most, laying a child uh, to rest. Uh, I'm telling you, without the hope of Jesus Christ, the despair, I could hear the despair in the cries. But I was thankful that I was able to preach from John 14. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you may be also. I told that crowd of people, most of them who will never grace the doors of a church, I told them that there was life after death in Jesus. I told them there is hope beyond the grave. And I'm thankful for that. I have a message to preach that has power behind it. And it has uh, transcendent answers. You know, kids are already thinking about it. There's teens in here who are thinking like, what is it all about? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Uh, if we're just going to go to the ground like my science books say, what is the purpose of all of this? Well, I want to tell you something, young person. There is life after death. There is a heaven. There is a Savior who wants to spend eternity with you. This isn't like pastor would say fairy tales and pixie dust. This is real. The things that we see, those don't last. But the things that are unseen, the eternal things, what I'm preaching from the word of God today is the eternal truth that Jesus has power over death. And I know I'm speaking to some widows and you've laid your husband to rest. Or I just want to encourage you, he's in Christ. There will be reunification. Oh, I'm thankful Oh, that I will see in heaven uh, loved ones who have gone before. I'm thankful for the promise of heaven and, and, and the truth that we will see Jesus face, that we will be in his presence. And that's why we sing joy to the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. You know, I know some people don't agree with us putting up trees and, and you know, and, and, you know, hey, that's a pagan root and all these other things. And, and, and that's fine if you choose not to. But as for me, I'm going to celebrate this time. I'm going to take this opportunity to point people to Jesus and remind myself of the hope that lies ahead. But I want you to see this miracle. It could not be avoided. There was there was no question you see, Jesus allowed Lazarus to stay in the grave for extended time so there would be no denying what he was going to do. He has power over death. He has defeated the horrible enemy, and he has done so totally and permanently. Now, as I mentioned, the, the emphasis of John is so that we may believe, so that we have faith in Jesus. And this is where we pick it up in John chapter 11 once again. I want you to notice this morning with me an urgent request. An urgent request was sent to Jesus from Mary and Martha. They said to him, the one who you love, the one named Lazarus, our brother, uh, and Bethany, uh, he is sick. He's sick. And so they would have sent this message by a messenger, maybe a friend of the family, maybe someone who they trusted to, to, to seek out Jesus to find where he was and, and deliver the news. Now, Lazarus' illness, of course, was not a surprise to Jesus. He, he knew, of course, everything, him being God in the flesh. But as the message found Jesus, he, of course, 20 or so miles away in Bethabara, and uh, where John the Baptist uh, on the other side of the Jordan was ministering uh, uh, previously. And so this would have taken a day's journey for that messenger to get the news to Jesus. 
And likely Lazarus was already dead when he got there. But of course, it wasn't the day that we live in where you can get instant news, right? But he brought the message and it was a grim one that Lazarus was sick. You know, it had to have been pretty bad for them to send for Jesus. In those days, they didn't have penicillin and, and, and antibiotics. They didn't have Kaiser and they couldn't just go and, and get, uh, you know, help in those ways. Uh, a fever was, was a little bit more serious. Uh, illness had a little bit more of a, a punch to it because if God didn't do something, if you're, if, if you weren't, uh, restored, if you're, if you weren't able to fight through that sickness, oh, it, it, it could be fatal. And, and this was, seemed to be the case with Lazarus here. He's very ill. And so he, of course, the Bible records he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And we get a description of their relationship with Jesus. They loved Jesus. They had a, a close relationship with Jesus. I want you to see it pictured in verse number two. It says, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, I want you to get this picture. This family loved Jesus, and it had been shown and verified. You know how you go on social media, you go on Instagram, or you see Twitter, and, you know, they have that verification little badge, you know, this verifies that this person is who they say they are. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were verified in Jesus' eyes. He knew that they had a heart for him. He trusted them. He would stay in their home when he'd come to Bethany. He knew uh, their, 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 their past. He knew that they loved Jesus, and, and it was shown in Mary with her act of worship when she heard that Jesus was in the region. And he had been invited to Simon, uh, a former leper. He was invited to his home. And, and when they brought him to his home, they didn't wash his feet. They didn't anoint him with oil. And, and uh, so he was sitting there supposedly to be the honored guest, but they hadn't shown him much honor. But then Mary showed up in the room. She was uninvited. But she made her way. She made a beeline to Jesus. Now, the Bible records about Mary. She had a very checkered past. She had a sin-filled past, and because she had been forgiven much, she loved Jesus much. I don't know about you. I've been forgiven much. Even this very week, forgiven by the grace of God, and, and, and because of that grace that was extended to me, because I don't get what I deserve, which is a one-way ticket to damnation in hell for all of eternity. How could we help but not love him? How can we help but not pour out our worship for him? That's why I'm so surprised when we come into church and, and we have just a stiff demeanor. That's why I'm so surprised when we don't really have a deep relationship with Jesus. I don't think we understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. But Lazarus and Mary and Martha understood. Mary anointed him with a very expensive fragrant oil. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. The glory of a woman is her hair, the Bible says. And, and most of you women, you, you spend much time and attention in keeping your hair right. And the last thing you would ever want to do is to to wash dirty, filthy feet that it walked, you know, miles and miles in dusty, uh, some unpaved road. But let me tell you, that was the extent of her love for Jesus. And the Bible says that she uh, used her tears. She wept as she did so because of her passion for Jesus. Oh, would be to God, we'd have some men and women who are passionately in love with Jesus this morning. I'm telling you, oh, what that radically changed this country if some people got got on fire for Jesus. They love Jesus, but I want you to know Jesus loved them. Look at verse number three. Therefore, the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They knew Jesus loved them. I don't want to tell somebody this morning, I don't know where you are with God, but he, he loves you. Not in a general sense, in a specific individual 
since he loves you. He said, the one you love, the Lazarus, the one you, you love, he's sick. They knew that Jesus loved him. And I want you to see something. We get a glimpse into Jesus, the person. We know him to be God, but I want you to see he, he was a person and he, he had relationships. Our God is a relational God. Do you know the, the, the God of Islam? He doesn't love anyone. And, and, and Muslims cannot claim to have a relationship with him. Even Muhammad wasn't sure if he would have made it to. But our God, he's unlike any other. He's relational. Sometimes I, I fear that a lot of Christians today, you view God as transactional. You come to him for your salvation, and there's where it ends. You don't get to know him. Do you know Jesus this morning? Are you growing in your knowledge and, and, and intimacy with Jesus? Because either you're growing in that or you're regressing. Either you're, you're, you're getting closer to him or you're straying and there's no in between. Jesus loved Lazarus. He had a very close relationship with him. And do you notice how natural it was for them to seek Jesus? You know, I've learned this. When you aren't closely walking with Jesus, it isn't so easy for you to go to him. Prayer begins to wane. And I'm telling you this morning uh, that many in the church have zero to no prayer life. And it's because we aren't in love with Jesus. We aren't seeking his presence. And, and, it, and it's, we're not growing in our relationship with him. And it's not natural for us to go to him and to, and to, to uh, continue to pursue him in times of need. Oh, I'm, I'm convinced this morning that we underutilize prayer more than any other tool in the church. And I was uh, reading this week about Samuel Chadwick, a preacher uh, who God, of course, uh, filled with his spirit and he, he was able to use him for mighty works. And he, he finally came to the end of himself and he threw all his sermons in the fire and he said, God, I want more of you. I don't care about sermons. I don't care about ministry. I don't care about any of this other stuff. I want you. And the power of God fell on him. And I'm telling you, this is what we need. This is what we are lacking today. This is where the church is seeing uh, defeat after defeat. We are powerless to do the work of God because we have neglected this very area of prayer and intimacy with the Lord. Jesus loved them. He knew Lazarus. Lazarus knew, he knew Jesus. He had a relationship with him. But I want you to notice about their urgent request. They didn't ask for specifics. They just simply told Jesus that Lazarus was sick. I, I feel like they didn't need to say anything. They just they just assumed that Jesus would hear hear this and he's the healer. They they felt like it was simply enough to to tell him what the problem was. But of course they had an expectation. They had seen him, no doubt, heal others. They had seen him show up and do miracles. And they knew that he was able to meet their need. And their faith was not off. I want you to see they were not wrong to bring it to Jesus. And I want you to uh, also understand that's what we should do. He should be our only resort, our first resort. I'm telling you, you should bring our needs to him. But I want you to see how Jesus responds uh, it's, it's different. It's not what we would have expected in just a moment. But I, I was thinking about this, too. Jesus loved them, but this did not exempt them from going through difficulties. From, it does not exempt us as God's people from trials because we love the Lord Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we are going to face trials in this life. I heard Spurgeon, a quote from Spurgeon this week, it says, The love of Jesus does not separate us from the common necessities and infirmities of human life. Men of God are still men. So that he was talking about preachers and the struggles that preachers go through. 
but not just preachers, but everyone in Christ. We're going to go through the furnace of affliction from time to time. And it's in the furnace of affliction that God tests us. It's where he fortifies our faith. It's where he uh, refines our lives. And, and in that refiner's fire, if we allow God to have his work in us, we can come forth like gold. And I want you to know, right now, there are people in a room this size, you're going through it right now. I want to remind you, Jesus, he loves you. He hasn't abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He will never. But he is allowing this in your life for a purpose. And ask him to show you. He may reveal it to you right now or it may be down the line. In my life, most times that I'm going through a trial, it's usually after the trial that God gives me clarity. God shows me why. He shows me an area of my life that needed refining. He showed me uh, something that he wanted to mold into me. Um, and I'm telling you, it's, there's a purpose behind everything that comes into our lives. And I want to remind us of this truth, too, that nothing comes into our lives as Christians apart from God allowing it. And you say, well, I've been through this terrible thing. I've been abused. I've been through all these things. And of course, God, uh, he's not the one who is a lot of times behind uh, the difficult things. But if he allows it, he's going to use it down the line. He's going to take an ugly situation, I truly believe, and make it beautiful in his timing. So thankful for some of the things that I would have never chosen in my life to go through. Because I, 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 no doubt I would not be in the will of God. If everything went how, how I prayed or how I determined, oh, I'd have been falling off on the side of the road a long time ago. But God knew, and he is sovereign, and he knows what's best for his children. And he allows things in our life to test us, to strengthen us, to refine us, to, to make us who he desires for us to be. Jesus loved them. He heard of the sickness, but we're going to see he delays in his response. He, he delays in his response. Look at verse number four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And I want you to see in his delayed response, Jesus makes a powerful declaration. Look at verse number four. He says, this sickness is not unto death. As I mentioned before, Lazarus, more than likely, when the message got there, he had already passed. He had already died. But Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. And I want you to just see the enormity of what Jesus is saying. He is saying, I have power over even death itself. I am not bound by time, by geography. I am not bound by men and what they think about the situation. I have the final say. And I want to tell somebody this morning, uh, in your life, Jesus has the final say. There's nothing that you will face where he will not have the final say. This is a powerful declaration, and this could give us some steel in our spine. This is why we as Christians should not have the spirit of fear. We should not live our lives in in perpetual fear of whatever we may face. Because we know the one who controls even death itself. And so he makes this powerful declaration. This is not unto death, but he says that... This will bring glory to him. I want you to see it. He says, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Do you guys believe that God can get glory in our trials? Do you believe that? I believe it. And you want you want to understand what a lot of times the way that God gets glory in our lives through trials is how we go through them. Does our faith stand? Do you still worship 
when you get the diagnosis? Do you still worship when you have the miscarriage? Do you still worship when your spouse is terminally ill? Do you still love Jesus like everything is going peachy when it isn't? I'm telling you, this is where we find out who is real and who are the fair, rather uh, Christians who, when the trials come, when the storm hit, they're going to be washed away. Oh, didn't we kind of see a glimpse of that, you know, the last few years? I'm still hearing it from pastors about, you know, half of the people who left during COVID didn't come back. And um, I just feel like God is, he's drawing the line in the sand and, and we're going to see it even more so in the days of head uh, where we're going to either be exposed for, for, for being true in our faith, for really walking in faith over fear or, or, you know, aligning ourselves with Jesus, even at a cost, or we're going to be found by the wayside. We're going to get offended by him. We're going to say, uh, remember when Jesus said in John 10, uh, are you offended by this? Will you also go away? And I'm telling you, it's coming to in America where we won't have too many fence sitters because God is removing the fence. Either you're in or you're out. Either you believe all of his word or you don't. Either you're willing to suffer for his name or you won't. You'll avoid it at all costs. Some of you, your coworkers don't even know you're a Christian because you don't want to even be persecuted by their jokes. I'm telling you, that isn't biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity has never been safe. It has never been popular. It has never been mainstream. It's always been upstream, against the culture, countercultural. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, you, you got a stigma on you. Oh, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's here, actually. We've got to decide and determine now, will God be glorified in, in my life, in the trials, in the difficulty? His glory should be paramount in our lives. And this is what Jesus is saying to those disciples and to that messenger. Hey, the sickness isn't unto death, but that the, the, that God be glorified in it. The Son of God is going to be glorified through it. And I want to encourage someone here this morning. What you're going through will not be wasted if you give it to Jesus. He will find a way to, to, to make you better in it and bring you through it, I believe. And, and then also he gets the glory from that. And I, I'm telling you, that should be all of our prayer. Lord, when it comes, let me tell you, it's coming, guys, whatever it might be. Sickness, death, whatever it is, whatever the trial that we are going to face, it's coming. None of us are exempt. And... How we respond will say a lot about where we are with the Lord. John, of course, sandwiches in between this. Once again, he reminds the readers, he reminds us that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Verse number five. And this, this really hit me this week that God, he is going to test our faith, but it is not because he doesn't love us. It is because he is going to refine us. He's going to build us up. Be careful what you pray for. You want to be more mature, you want to be a more mature Christian? You ever see that, that, that mature Christian around here with the prayer life, with the, with the marriage that's good? Ask them what they've been through. Ask them how much pain <laughs> and suffering. You see the buff guy at the gym? Right? Ask him how much pain, and we found out the liver king's a liar. He's, he's pumping juice. I could have told you that. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but ask him how much discipline did he have to install in his life? How much pain did he have to endure to tear down those muscles, to, to, to build them back up again? And I'm telling you, that's true for Christians. I've not met a Christian who is, who is mature, who is well-rounded, who has not been through the fires of affliction. You show me one. I'm, I, it's an anomaly. Even Jesus, he went through uh, trials and sorrows and pain. He's called the man of sorrows. Do you guys understand that? He went, he, he, Jesus went through everything that we could possibly go through. 
Physical suffering, Jesus felt like no other man. Emotional distress. I'm telling you. So, if Jesus went through it, we should brace ourselves and um, and hope to bring him glory in those times. So, I want you to see he delayed. Verse number six, he, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He stayed there. It was purposeful, this delay. I know the disciples had questions. Why, why, why is Jesus still here? Why is he hanging out? Why is he leaving them in their seemingly time of need? He's not there. And, um, but I want you to just think about this with me this morning. Jesus loved Lazarus, but he, he allowed him or he, he, he was aware that he was sick, right? He he could have stopped that, but he didn't, of course. And then he delayed going to the sisters. Of course, this would have been agonizing for them, right? As Jesus, please come, please come, please come. And if you were here, what did Mary say? We'll see it later on. If you were here, Jesus. But, <laughs> hey, Jesus had a plan in it. And we know that distance didn't limit Jesus. He had just healed a noble's man, son, by just speaking the words. But God had a plan in all this. It was purposeful. We live in a day right now where a lot of people are just right there. They're saying, why is this going on? Why am I here? I was reading about an epidemic in our, in our nation of, of loneliness this week. So many people are lonely. One in three adults report being lonely. 58% of Americans say that no one knows them well. It seems like we, we live in a time where we're more connected than we ever were, but it seems like we're not as connected. <laughs> we're isolated, even though people are seemingly all around us. Have you ever been here? The loneliest place you can be sometimes is in a crowd. And um, I just was reminded of this as I was thinking about how those must have been some lonely days or some, some gut-wrenching days for Mary and Martha, but, but Jesus, his delay was not his denial, okay? And you may feel like God is far from you. You read scripture, David often would say, God, where are you? I can't see you. And, and sometimes I feel this way too. Like, God, why aren't you dealing with this right now? Why aren't you taking this away? Whatever you fill in the blank. But I want to tell you, God's delays are always purposeful and his timing is always perfect. And we, what he is developing in us is that endurance so that when he shows up, I'm telling you, we can rejoice even the more. I'm telling you, it feels better to, to, to wait on God than to try to seek it elsewhere. It's better when he delivers you. Oh, it, we're going to see later on in this chapter that when he raises Lazarus from the dead, oh, it, it, the, the, the boom, the, 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 the hysteria that will follow, oh, because of this miracle, it brought more glory to God. And like I said a few times already, we should seek to see God glorified in everything that we go through. Amen? So Lazarus is dead and, and Jesus delays. The Jews had a, had a, a superstition or you know, a, a tradition that they felt that a person could return to their body within those first three days. They, 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 they felt that somehow the spirit could come back and see the, the body and see if it's still intact in those first 72 hours. And then after that, um, if, it, if it didn't happen in those three days, it wasn't going to happen because decomposition would have taken place. So it was purposeful that Jesus took the four days. That's why he, he waited, to, took a day to get to him. Then it was two days that he waited after he got the news, and then it was one day travel to him, so it was the fourth day. Because Jesus wanted there to be no doubt of what he accomplished in this miracle. He had a purpose beyond, a purpose beyond, behind the delay. And I want you to see, often throughout scripture, in the Gospel of John in particular, uh, there were people close to Jesus who asked him to do something. Um, I think about the first time, the wedding at Cana, when his mother Mary came to him and said, they're out of wine. 
And uh, what did Jesus do? He says, woman, go sit down over there. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> he said, woman, what have I to do with you? It was a term of endearment. It wasn't what we think of, like, like I just said, like, go sit down, mom. I'm not doing that right now. I'm God, mom. <laughs> you don't think I know they're out of wine, mom? <laughs> Truthfully, right? <laughs> but he, he delayed. She didn't, he didn't respond to her, right? And, and then she went to the servants and said, whatever he, she knew, she knew. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. <laughs> and he, he responded. He delayed though. Remember his brothers, chapter seven said, hey, why are you here in obscurity doing these miracles and showing your power to, to just a few, you know, stragglers outside here in Galilee? Why don't you go into the feast? And show off so that you can gain a following, so you can get a million Twitter followers, and you can, uh, whatever it might be. And, uh, of course, Jesus rejected that. He, he wasn't on their timetable. He didn't need their input. He didn't need their instructions on what to do. So he waited, and, of course, he later would go to the feast. And here is no different. I want to remind us this morning that God is God. We aren't God. We're not God. He is God. He is in control. He doesn't take orders from anyone. Uh, We have to get on his timetable, not him on ours. And I want to just remind some of us uh, this this morning, don't get disenfranchised with God when he doesn't jump when you say how high. Uh, he is He's omnipotent. He is the alpha, the omega. He, he's the one who tells the sun to come up in the morning and tells the ocean to stop on the shore. He is in control. The wind and the waves have to obey him. And we've got to submit to him. We've got to bow before him. We've got to say, God, whatever your will is, that's what I want most. His timing is always better. And remember, as I said before, God's delays are not his denials. But rather, oftentimes, there are opportunities for him to bring more glory to himself. And we got to find comfort in, this, in these truths found in Scripture. But I want you to see not only a delayed response, but I want you to see Jesus now heads to Judea. Look at verse number seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Look what the disciples say. The disciples said to him, as if he didn't know, watch this. Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And are you going, go, are you going there again? Now, of course, Jesus was, he's undeterred by danger you see jesus he knew that he he was number one on judea's most wanted list <laughs> he, he he was very well aware of that they wanted to kill him but we, we just of course finished chapter 10 and they tried to stone him when <laughs> at the end of the, the chapter but of course he escaped out of their reach and uh jesus understood him being eternal God, he understood what sometimes we fail to understand, that if we are in the will of God, because remember, Jesus, even though he's equal with God in all uh, power, prerogatives, and position, he submitted to the will of the Father, right? He did what the Father told him to do. He 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 willingly laid down his life, of course, for us, and he did always that pleased the Father. And so he uh, was in the will of God, so he understood what you and I need to understand this morning, that when you are in the will of God, there is direction, there is protection. Protection and provision. Do you believe that? What has God told you to do? I can tell some of you men what God's told you to do. He's told you to, 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 to submit to him, provide for your family, love your wife. Uh, hey, if that's all you do as a man, hey, I, I would say that you, you, you have a godly legacy that you'll leave. 
But I'm, I'm afraid that many in the church, many men are egomaniacs, they're prideful, other than protect their women and their wives, that they, they, they suppress them, oppress them, and they, they, <laughs> they seek for ways to, to meet their needs before their families. I'm telling you, this is, uh, why many men don't want to worship. They're not close to Jesus. Many men don't come to the altar. I'm telling you why, because they're filled with themselves, their pride, they have the position at work. Oh, they give out all the orders, uh, as a supervisor, but then you go home and, and they're this small at home, but they're this big at work. I'm preaching to myself because many years I, I lived there. Big pastor, but I wouldn't loving my wife like I should. I wouldn't nurturing her and my children. And so that's why you see pastor was making fun of me because my wife, she'll, she'll post the dates on Instagram. You know what? I'm making up for some years where I didn't love my wife like I should have. Some of you men, you need to repent how you treated your wife this week. Don't tell me you're close. Don't tell me you, you you're close to Jesus and, and that's how you your your mode of operation. I, I'm just telling. I don't know why I went on this rant. It wasn't in the first service. Somebody needs to hear it. <laughs> the will of God. That's where we were. The will of God. I want to say that some of this morning. The will of God is for you to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Repentance is a word that you don't hear a lot in church. You hear it here, but you don't hear it a lot uh, in churches around. And, and it's so vital. It's, it's, it's everything. You see, what repentance is, you turn away from the path that you're on and you turn to Christ. You repent. You, you realize you're a sinner. You're heading towards damnation uh, eternally from God. But then you hear about Jesus, the one who shed his royal red blood on the cross for you and for me. And you believe on his name and you turn to him for salvation. And he gives you eternal life. Sounds like a good deal to me, right? And God desires that. He's not willing that any should perish. For this is the will of God. This is his will. He would have all men to be saved. Don't tell me that God doesn't desire to save every person. He does. And it's it's in the word of God. But I want you to see Jesus, he was not deterred by the danger that he was felt to be facing. <laughs> you know, the disciples, sometimes they just don't get it, right? And I don't want to be hard on them because these men are far along more than many of us. They left all to follow Christ. And, uh, but they weren't super saints, but <laughs> Jesus was constantly seeking for ways to increase their faith. And he says it later on. He says that it's good that I wasn't there. It's good for you. Because I'm going to do something here. I'm going to show up and show out. Amen? Amen. And, and, and so he said, hey, I, I waited. I'm, I'm undeterred by the danger. I'm undeterred by death because I have power over death. And he speaks of this. I want you to see. Hi, Hattie. She's having fun. She's <laughs> baby Hattie. So look at verse number um, number nine. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And I want to stop there. Jesus is emphasizing that he has a space of time, right? There's 12 hours in the day. And that's what every human gets. This is only uh, the, the only time in Jesus' entire existence where he was bound by the parameters of time. But he understood that he had 12 hours in which he could do the will of God. And so do you and I. We have but limited time. And he understood this. So he was intentional with everything that he did. He didn't waste time like you and I do scrolling through social media. Uh, you know, he didn't uh, allow time to just be uh, squandered. And I want to tell some of you this this morning, um, and you shouldn't, parents, you shouldn't let your teenagers squander time. Take that phone away. Give them a book to read. <laughs> Come on. 
uh, teach them a, 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 something to do. Get them in a sport. I'm telling you, don't let them waste their lives away on this, doing this. What is that going to accomplish? I'm thankful. I have a, my mother, she didn't, she didn't let us have any systems, you know, growing up. I, all my friends had the Nintendos and the Playstations. I didn't have those. And, um, I was, I was outdoors. I was playing sports. I was being active. And I was thankful for that when I was able to play in high school and play in college. And, and, um, but I just want to, I don't know why I'm saying this, but do with it what you will, okay? But anyways, Jesus understood that there was 12 hours in the day and that it would be sunset. So he, soon, it would be nighttime soon. And what he was emphasizing was that he, he knew he had but a space of time to fulfill the will of the Father, to do what God the Father had sent him to do. So he was going to make the trek uh, back to Judea because it was on the calendar, God's divine calendar. And um, he talks about how those who don't, who walks in the night, they stumble because the light is not in them. And, and I think this was a dual meaning. He was talking about those who wanted to stone him, that they were in darkness and, they, and, and he was that stumbling block and, and that they were trying to snuff out his life, but they could not. But he's also uh, using that same illustration of darkness as uh, there comes a time when man cannot work. There, the night cometh when man cannot work. He understood he was towards the end of his earthly ministry. And I don't know what quarter I'm in. You don't know what quarter you're in either. Well, some of you do, you know. You know, if you're in your 80s, you're, you're in your fourth quarter. No, you're in overtime, according to the Bible. Hey, I'm not. <laughs> don't beat me up. <laughs> I may be in overtime. We don't know. I just preached the funeral yesterday for a 35-year-old. But none of us know whether you're young, whether you're old. Whatever you are in between, I'm telling you, none of us know when that time is going to come, when our night figuratively will come. But I want to encourage us to redeem the time in between. Remember, I say this often, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's not going to really matter what you drove when you see Jesus. It's not going to really matter what neighborhood you lived in or if you had the house on the hill. It's not going to matter. What you do for Christ is what will count. And so do the will of the Father. Let Jesus be the example of this. He did always the things that pleased the Father. He's undeterred by this supposed danger. And um, he's going to go on, and I'm going to, I'm going to end it here because I have a lot more but we're going to have part two next time. But if you heard anything this morning from this message, I want you to understand that Jesus, he, he has a plan for your life. He, he loves you and he desires a relationship with you. He desires that none would perish, like I said earlier. And if you need Christ this morning, today would be the day of salvation. It would be a day that you can call on his name and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Yesterday at that funeral, I was in that room and, you know, it was packed full of people, like I said, who you could tell they don't come to church often. And, and uh, it was at an American Legion and it was dark in there. You walk, I walk in and there's a bar and there's veterans, you know, just getting drunk at the bar and <laughs> some of the places you get to preach. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, give me, give me a room full of lost people any day of the week, any time. I went in there, you know, just praying that God be glorified, God. Fill me with your spirit, God. I was, you know, and as I went, I had 15 minutes. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God fell on me. It was so strong, I almost started to weep. And, and I preached John 14. And I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I said there are only two types of people in the world people who are saved and people who are lost. You could hear a pin drop in that room. And I'm telling you, God just gave me, gave me a boldness for the moment. And I'm telling you because heaven is sweet 
and hell is hot. And I'm telling you, we as Christians got to get back on mission. Do you guys understand? I mentioned it in the first service, but Christianity has always been on the offense. Now we're playing defense in our culture, right? Oh, they're trying to get marriage. Oh, they're trying to take away. They're trying to get the kids. Oh, that's what it is. When we should have been on offense. Because dark, depraved hearts do dark, depraved things. I'm telling you, in sports, the best defense is the greatest, is a good offense. And, and we were told by Jesus in his word that the gates of hell will not prevail against. If you're going to do something for the kingdom of God and, and the spirit of God, you are all but invincible until God says you're not. You are destined to, to succeed if you're about what Jesus is about. So I'm telling you, when I left that room and like I said, a pin couldn't, you couldn't hear a pin drop as I walked out the door. Uh, I, I was just in tears. Let me tell you, uh, I could have just been stuffing my face, you know, watching football. Or, you know, or something, college football or basketball. But let me tell you, I had a hallelujah moment with Jesus in the car because I really experienced what Jesus said. I have meat that you don't even know, disciples. I have to do the will of the Father. And let me tell you, it's more fulfilling than anything this world can offer. I heard people praying to receive Christ in that room and like I said I was in here had a hallelujah moment told my wife you know just 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 was on cloud nine I'm telling you God has a plan for each and every one of us believers and many don't experience the fullness of it because we're distracted we're caught up in this world and its systems how many of you feel like I do. Everything that I once thought was important or everything that I thought that was something that I should focus on, I've learned in the last few years, literally, that it's all a facade. And that what God says is true. Live for him. Live for the kingdom. You won't miss out on anything, I promise you.